I, I think the poet or the filmmaker or the musician, the poet must not avert his eyes. You must not avert your eyes. This is what is coming at us. podcast that occasionally enjoys watching good movies. I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. And today we shall be discussing the one good thing that you might have missed. Mm. Uh, we shall be discussing various films that we think are excellent, but underseen. You lucky people. You lucky people. Paul, you fucking cineast. Hi. Hi. Why is it so difficult to recommend a film to someone? Well... It's mostly because they're all bastards. Yeah, um, I've noticed that. Yeah. It's also, um, I think there's a very human thing in not enjoying being second to the yes slush pile. Yes, there is that, I think. There's a power dynamic yeah. in sort of being the recommender and the recommendee to the point yes. where you're watching the thing. And the person comes back and it's like, I really enjoyed that. And it's like, oh, great. Yeah. I did that. <laughs> yeah. That was me. And what 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 I find unfair about it is, I've I've come to be the sort of person that like gladly accepts recommendations, and yeah. I and I go away and watch it. And if I like it, then it's wonderful. And mm. I go, oh, let me recommend one to you. And they never never either never watch it, yeah, or they or they don't like it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. Oh, I didn't believe the acting. Oh, the, the story didn't make any sense. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> God complex. Yeah, I mean, surely there is, because we, we, we watch a lot of films, but surely there is merit to someone taking it upon themselves to wander into the abyss and return with treasures. <laughs> but the problem is, I think, that one does not return from the abyss unchanged. And when you've mm. watched as many films as we have, it's not that our tastes are more refined, but they are more sophisticated. <laughs> And oh no doubt absolutely and so plebs have trouble with that <laughs> the annoying thing is about it all is that i mean my tastes are, are not fucking refined <laughs> I, I i like some of the the shittiest shit that there that there is going and, yeah. uh I've, I've somehow cultivated this uh reputation as uh like a, like an aficionado but a twat as well <laughs> it becomes oh you know of course you didn't like transformers yeah and it's like fuck you i like crank yeah i uh, you know we 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 loved hardcore henry uh, oh, fuck yeah we did yeah christ that needs to be there's there's one discussed at some point and what it's what it's done i don't know about you but it, it causes a discreet um existential crisis anytime somebody asks me to recommend a film especially fuck if it's yeah. to a group oh, if, if we're in a room full of That's people awful. and somebody says oh okay paul it's your choice this week <laughs> what should we watch yeah um i i, I then undergo a fucking fever dream of, uh, of like, em- em- embarrassments. Yeah, and it's always I always make the wrong choice. There's always somebody. There's always somebody who <laughs> doesn't appreciate episode. the ten minute rape scene from Irreversible. <laughs> Some twat. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't recommend that. But there's always somebody who doesn't like. He just it doesn't gel. Isn't isn't on board, and it always yeah. always ends badly. Yeah, I hate that, and it's it's it particularly tense for me because I used to have a group of friends I I showed films to very regularly, mm. and one in particular member of this group was very 
she was very open about when she was not enjoying the experience she was having. <laughs> right. Just, this is shit, Paul. <laughs> can we can we not watch this? It gets really good. Who yeah. does it though? <laughs> to the point where when introducing a film would be like, is this one good? Yes, it's good. Is it, is it good though? Or is it good in the way that you, you like? like it? Yeah. <laughs> I uh yeah, I, I have a I have a friend now. She's a lovely a lovely person. Now. Yeah, it's the end, this. yeah podcast over. I'm afraid. Shit, I've got, I've got a friend now. <laughs> no, I have a friend now who, whenever she asks me to recommend her a film, she says, "Yeah, but is it just Paul good?" <laughs> and it's um, it's so you can film. yeah, so you can see why this podcast is the way it is. <laughs> and um, you know this this episode I've been looking forward to because it's a safe mm. space. It's a safe yes. environment where we get to just talk about our opinions about movies we like yep and people who dissent are not in this room <laughs> surprise yeah. oh no it's, oh, it's a hate party <laughs> it's a hate party it's a Paul soul patented hate party <laughs> all for me now, guys? yum yum yeah um you gotta believe the cakes there will be a life <laughs> there will be a life <laughs> oh my god the <laughs> There are some there are, there are some real there are some real corkers in here. Yeah, so I really hope that you'll just come with it with an open mind and be in the mood to because I I don't know I I get excited like when I see a content producer I really like has made like a top ten films ever I get really excited like oh I wonder how many I've seen and if mm. like I might discover something new so yeah. I hope that's the attitude you guys are feeling right now like I can't wait to hear what the polls have got for me yeah what these I- content producers <laughs> about whom I feel. Ambivalent? Something, yeah, yeah, at best. <laughs> Can't this wait. Is the minimum we require, <laughs> um, and the most we've ever had. So, uh, Paul, would you care to lead with your first film? Uh, I would. Thank Ooh. you. So, the first one I'm uh, going with is a foreign film. Yay! <laughs> but it's um, uh, is the only one. Oh, excellent! That's um, a relief. Yes, and yeah, the only one of mine too, unless you count Canada as foreign. And you know, I do. I know you. Um, this is a film, a uh, Serbian film called Black Cat, White Cat, which is a 1998 film uh, directed by Emir Kostarica. Kostarica? Kostarica. Emir of Kostarica, yes. <laughs> Dick Kostarica. Um, <laughs> I know foreigns. Um, obviously, yeah, I, I, I didn't pick up on the accent or how things are pronounced, or even if the film was any good because I was too busy reading the subtitles. Uh, That's how they get you. Missed it. Yeah, that Black Cat White Cat is um, set on the Danube, and it's about a group of uh, travellers, Roman gypsies. Roman gypsies. Um, it centres around uh, Matko, who is a gypsy grifter. Um, he's in turn grifted by his partner Daydan, uh, leaving him in debt to Daydan. He owns, owes him a great sum of money. Um, to solve this, Daydan suggests that uh, Matko force his adolescent son to marry uh, Daydan's. Yeah. Midget sister, uh, who is yet to be married, but uh, they oppose the marriage and uh, attempt to flee and sabotage it in any way. From there, the story the story sort of bursts into like, what feels like a trillion subplots and characters, <laughs> but like, all within this community. So it's yeah. massive, but contained and just wonderful to watch. Oh, um, the story it just it sprawls and drifts mm. like a boat easing its way down the river, <laughs> but with all the farce and the eastern batshitness of Kafka or Hrabal, like the, the humour is really similar to the Three Colours White, oh, you know, right. directed yeah. by the Polish Krzysztof uh, Kieslowski. Yeah. Um, the character and the characters are like 
warlords they're just huge <laughs> colorful characters so yeah it takes on the feel of a story passed down through generations mm. that gets bigger and grander with every telling yeah and um, it feels like a story being told by the people that are, you know in in the film yeah like daydan himself the i guess the the, the antagonist right. i was gonna say villain but um he's this violently cheerful ego- egomaniac who yeah. juggles grenades and would be the guy who makes really uncomfortable eye contact with you on the train for the duration of the journey <laughs> on that train coked up the whole the whole time and the sillier and grander it gets like, the more wonderful it is um you know it's not to watch but behold yeah like a thousand ugly dancing babies <laughs> My favourite thing. Yeah, it's it's just such a sprawling mess of a film, but it's orchestrated mess. Yeah, yeah. There are some really just lovely, lazy river scenes. And- I love those. O- early on, when you've got stuff like the um, improvised rigged fans that they've hooked yeah. up to sort of their feet and stuff, and it's got a wonderful yeah. sort of <laughs> tramp aesthetic to yes. the whole thing of everything being improvised and scrapped together. It's really, it's really pleasing. Yeah, diff- it's, you know... The reason I want to include it here is because it really is a spectacle, and if you just yeah. sort of let it take you, you know, take you along, it's well worth a ride. Excellent, mm. very cool. Yeah. Um. Okay. My my first movie is a most violent year, Ooh. which is a J.C. Chandor crime movie. J.C. Chandor is really interesting. He made a film mm. called All Is Lost about Robert Redford alone in a boat for the whole film, <laughs> as the boat slowly gets damaged and starts to sink, and he tries mm. to get help. It's brilliant. It's like Life of Pi without the tiger. With Robert Redford, believable, believable, yeah. Then a whole um, an entire CGI ocean. <laughs> yes, although Robert Redford was CGI, <laughs> he has to be though. He does by court order. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a most violent year is about a um, fuel supplier named Abel, uh, played Abelly. Oh, oh me by Oscar <laughs> Isaacs, um, yeah. who is trying to protect his fuel delivery business. In the most violent year in New York's history. Hmm. Um, specifically, the issue revolves around the fact that his drivers of his fuel trucks keep getting robbed by someone. Hmm. Presumably some member of the um, sort of mafia of which he is a part. Um, the big debate is, should he give his drivers guns? And he is adamantly against it because he doesn't want to go over that line. And he is hoping to legitimize himself through the purchasing of three large fuel tanks which he can only get a loan for if he is not seen as being associated with the growing mafia problem. So it's about Oscar Isaac's Abel trying to be more than he is sort of fated to be. Hmm. He's grown up in this way. He's done what he needed to do in order to get where he is. And now he wants to go clean and everything is out to get him. His past is just miring him down. Um, and most notably, this is a fucking showcase for Oscar Isaacs, who is as astonishing in this film as the yeah. sort of incredibly charismatic but also deeply haunted um business guy trying to go trying to go straight uh Jessica Chastain is brilliant as his wife who is sort of also living with the consequences of its, of his decisions and yet is also kind of a lady macbeth char- uh, style character mm. who is urging him to sort of um go further and um do what he needs to in order to accomplish what it is that he wants to achieve yeah um, it's, it's basically a sort of man driven to the edge story. A man mm. desperately trying to cling on, cling on to his humanity and his, you know, virtue. Um, in a world that's just getting darker and darker around him. Mm. Um, and it's a thriller as well as he tries to find out who it is who's robbing his trucks and uh, the, the sequences in which the trucks are robbed. There's two of them in the film. Um, are extraordinary. They're incredible sort of action sequences. Mm. Um, 
yeah, it's just, it's an all around great package. And one of the things I love about it is it's set in New York in 1981. And it's just, it's still clinging to that sort of, it's not an 80s feel, it's a 70s feel. It's, you know, the feel of the French connection or the, um, the taking of Pelham 123. It's, you know, sort of deep browns and everyone's wearing big coats. Yes, it's winter yeah. in New York and it's, oh, it's just gorgeous. It looks like The Godfather. Yes. Um, it's funny you should mention The Godfather because mm. um, the first thing that came to mind watching this was Al Pacino. Yeah. Um, Oscar Isaacs just had this this stillness mm. to his performance. Just just doing what he did, just embody- embodying that character and, yeah. and, and the time. These men are cowards. They're too weak to make a living or even fight with their own hands. And too stupid to think of anything else to do. Um, I mean, it was a it was a seventies feel, but it was a real Oscar Isaac's feel. Oh god, yeah. um, Oscar Isaac, sorry, Not Oscar Isaacs. I'm getting <laughs> oh, sorry, mixed yeah, up with Jason. <laughs> um, Hello to Jason Isaac. <laughs> Fuck you, Jason Isaac. That's our version. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was. Oh yeah, God, just a, a, gr- a great film. It really is the sort of antidote to all the go- the Godfather and the Sopranos, yeah. because whereas those movies are about characters who delight in their business and wish they didn't, yeah, there is not an ounce of Abel in this yeah. Oscar Isaac character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Oscar Isaac's character. Yeah, there is not an ounce of him that wants to engage in this lifestyle. That wants, you know, to get involved in the violence and the shit that it brings with it. Part of you does think, as it's happening, you know, his his trucks keep getting robbed by guys with guns. Part of you does think, oh, I might have given them guns by now. Yeah. But as soon as um, you, you'd get to see the consequences of what that would mean throughout mm. the film. So, yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, it's it's kind of a surprise it didn't garner more attention. Mm. Because, I mean, that question is one of the most important ones of the of the last 20 30 years like the gun yeah. gun control question absolutely yeah absolutely cool, cool. you're next so uh so my next one is uh homegrown oh oh love best, it best of british best uh attack the block lovely the 2011 uh debut film by director joe cornish yes. of uh, adam and joe fame mm. um yeah it's set on an estate near oval in south london <laughs> Samantha Adams, played by Jodie Whittaker, is mugged on her way home from work um, by a gang led by Moses, played by John Boyega. Yes. Um, go on, son. Uh, <laughs> what follows is an, a- an alien siege on the block of flats in which Samantha and the gang all live. Uh, through serendipity or just plain bad luck, they find themselves lumped together and have to work together to survive, along with Nick Frost, who turns up as a dealer. Um, at the same time, coming to terms with the mugging uh, that night and the poverty and rough upbringings of these the lads. Yeah. And they find that they come to a sort of shared experience and understanding. Nice place you got. Thanks. Thinking of moving. Shame. Why? I don't like the area. Yeah, what do you mean you don't like the area? What's wrong with the area? Listen, whatever kind of gang or bullshit you're involved in, leave me out of it, please. Hey, this ain't got nothing to do with gangs. Or drugs, or rap music, or violence in video games. This is the worst night of my life. Feelings mutual. Um, there is then the aliens. Uh, and what I loved about the aliens in this in this film was the way they were realised. Right. As with good horror and sci-fi classics, you know, found ways to conceal the big monsters without revealing prosthetics or the guy controlling it just off camera. Yeah. The aliens in this are like voids. Yes, they're, I remember that. They're sort of bear-like in stature, but... <laughs> black and not yeah. just black and but black in a way that defies definition they're yeah. just 
a fuzz, like a moving fuzz. Yeah. So when they moved and, you know, came charging for the heroes, they not only looked great, they're this real unknown and it was terrifying. Yeah. Like they really ramped up the, the, the menace of these, of these beasts. And, you know, necessity breeds in, invention, right? It's, it's mm. not gonna, it wasn't the highest, um, like budgeted film going. Yeah. You have to, you have to think of ways around it and they did it amazingly mm. and it does what so many british films fail to do it aimed big and felt big yeah my you know mind horn aimed big but because it was an out and out comedy it felt yeah. kind of small like restricted by the self-deprecating and cringy humor yeah, yeah. but attack the block is a massive sci-fi concept and it pulls yeah. it off better yet you know it has the claustrophobia of alien and, and the yeah. raid and, and you know these in these inside you know, yeah. the uh, interior shots and the comedy is like more in line with the Peg Wright Frost projects you know which yeah. are also you know which also transcend the usual limitations of British comedy yeah and it has heart as well and they have personalities beyond the jokes that you could you know character uh, personalities you can relate to with real problems which is again yeah. is why it feels bigger because it feels real it's Joe Cornish's directorial debut um John Boyega's debut yep which is amazing yeah um and uh, also apparently um, the debut of uh, composer Stephen Price, who's gone on to win awards. Oh, lovely. For something. Horse <laughs> culture. Sorry, Stephen Price. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think Attack the Block sort of, it, it did slip under the radar a bit, but it's yeah. a really, it's a really quality film. I remember some people who didn't want to watch it simply because it had um, Chavs as yeah. the hero. Yeah. And they, didn't want, they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready because at the time... I don't know, maybe it was the place I was in and the people I was with, but we were just really frightened by sort of people in tracksuits. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel like such an issue now. So maybe the times are better now. And Cornish was um, sort of appealing for um, humanization of a class that, as tragic as it is, as a nation, we weren't ready to humanize yet. Yeah, it's a real shame because, I mean, that kind of was the point of the film. Exactly. And to not watch it on those grounds uh, makes yeah. you stupid. Absolutely. Hug a hoodie. Yeah, go on. Go on. Well, not that one. <laughs> he looks a bit, you know. Um, my next film is Oculus, uh, directed by Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan's excellent. Uh, he's <laughs> directing these um, horror movies with really brilliant concepts. Um, Hush is about a is a home invasion movie about a deaf woman um, who's being stalked by a killer, and it's about how she sort of outwits uh, him. Um, he's also got a film coming out this year called Gerald's Game. Uh, which I have the premise for here, when a harmless sex game between a married couple in a remote retreat suddenly becomes a harrowing fight for survival. <laughs> it's happened to all of us. <laughs> it's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most of my sex games are harrowing flights, fights for survival, so... <laughs> it sounds pretty kinky to me. And most of your harrowing fights for survival end up as <laughs> sex games. Um, oh, who knows where me, we are with you they'll never let me back on saw <laughs> <laughs> um, or um wheel of fortune <laughs> oh they loved it um oculus is a fantastic psychological horror movie about a brother and sister whose father murdered their mother when they were kids mm. and the son was forced to kill the father in self-defense the sister uh, the, the brother then went to an insane asylum for claiming that the father was driven to murder by the mirror in his office, which mm. is haunted. Um, after many years in therapy, he has finally convinced that this was a fantasy in order to rectify having to kill his father who abused and murdered their mother. The sister then picks him up from the asylum and reveals that she still fully believes that the mirror is evil, and she has set up an experiment to prove it. 
um, she goes through the history of the mirror, it demonstrating that it has driven its owners insane and to murder time and time again, and she is determined to use current technology to prove that the mirror is evil. And huh. what carries on is this sort of psychological drama of what's real and what isn't as we go back and forth in time to them growing up with their parents, um, back to the experiment, trying to justify things. It's um, And all the while you're wondering, is this thing actually evil? You know, is there a evil presence going on here? Um, highlight of the movie for me, Karen Gillan and Annalise Basso, who play the um, woman and girl, same character. They play okay. the, the same character sort of as a child and grown up, both of whom are amazing at bringing this um, this theme, this character to life because she is so headstrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's great. Like, um, when they're kids, she's the one who takes charge and it's like, we're going to have to be strong now, you know, talking to the brother. Yeah. And sort of leading him through it. And as Karen Gillan, once she's grown up, she is just this fantastic force of um self-assuredness i guess she just knows this thing is haunted and she's going to prove it which makes it more and more tragic when you know things don't quite conform to the way she wants it it's it's a really brilliant film oh wow it's a fantastic horror film a real puzzle of a film and um one that just keeps you engaged does that tread similar grounds to take shelter in in the yeah like the, the the mental illness absolutely side it, of it is if you if you imagine all of take shelter set in one house overnight um it's yeah. a similar sort of psychological heft to it it's one of those great horror movies of the last five years which you know luckily we have been blessed with quite a few of them god yeah mm. got me into horror <laughs> Last Absolutely. five years, well done. Well, to be fair, I, I don't think I would have succeeded in the noughties. <laughs> hey, come watch Hostel 2. <laughs> oh. It's a Hatchet double feature. Yay. I actually like Hatchet. I like Hatchet. That was silly. <laughs> uh, my next one is Barney's version. Ah, lovely. The 2010 um, Richard J. Lewis directed film based on the novel by Mordecai Rickler starring Rosamund Pike, Minnie Driver, Dustin mm. Hoffman. Wow. Oh, and Paul Giamatti. Giamatti? Giamatti. I don't know who that who that is. Oh, and Jimmy Stewart. Oh, cool. He's, He's getting on a bit in that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, Barney, uh, played by Giamatti, mm. is uh, living in Rome when he marries and is widowed by a woman who claims to be pregnant with his child. He moves back home and marries a horrific woman played by incre- <laughs> played incredibly by Minnie Driver, um, about whom Barney is ambivalent at best. But at this stage, he's just going through the motions of life, um, working for what I think is an ad agency, so on and so forth. On his very wedding night, he meets Miriam Grant, played by Rosamund Pike, and falls in love and pursues her relentlessly. Um, it's now really difficult to talk about the rest of the film without spoiling any of it. Right. Because... Even to say what kind of film it is <laughs> will spoil uh, it. It has that sort of million dollar baby style genre twist. Yes. Right. Um, let's just say weddings, families, damaged friends, <laughs> um, memories that seem stronger one day than, you know, than another. Yeah. But rest, rest assured that I was fixed to the screen for the duration of the film. Yeah. Um, Paul Giamatti gives the usual, you know, steadfastly Giamatti-esque performance. You know, he's a bit of kind of guy. He's very dry. <laughs> thinks yeah. he's better than everyone else, despite being a cynical asshole. And <laughs> Rosamund Pike is excellent. Yeah. She's formidable in this. Oh, um, she is uh, stunning in, you know, in, in all ways. Yeah. In, yeah. And yeah, and all the, you know, the supporting cast are all these extremes of character. 
you know, in every way that you can imagine. But with all of them together, it's this life of Barney's. And yeah, uh, I guess I'll, 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 I'll call this film sweet mm. and, and leave it at that, but only in parts. Okay. <laughs> just all, all don't, I... go, don't go away from this thinking that this movie is sweet. <laughs> not having that. I'm just going to keep talking here because I'm afraid that if I stop, there's going to be a pause or a break and you're going to say it's getting late or I should get going. And uh, I'm not ready for that to happen. I don't want that to happen. Ever. But, yeah, um, just just watch it. I think it's Paul Giamatti's best hmm. best film. Wow. Even better than Shoot 'Em Up. Better than Amazing Spider-Man 2? Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's for Shit. the ages to decide. Can we redo, uh, <laughs> redo my third choice? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, my last choice is The Forbidden Room. Uh, Guy Madden's film? Technically film. a film. Yeah, definitely a film. So, just quickly, the plot. Um, the plot ostensibly involves a group of men who are stuck on a submarine, unable to surface, or the explosives they are transporting will, will explode. Uh, suddenly a lumberjack appears and tells his tale um, of being in Schleswig-Holstein, uh, attempting to save uh, a woman, Margot, from a vicious gang in the woods. Uh, but she turns out to actually be the gang's leader. As she sleeps, she dreams of being an amnesiac um, who is pursued by two ex-lovers who are actually vampiric bananas um, mm-hmm. who tell her about a man who forgot his wife's birthday, so he gifted her all of his possessions, pretending that they were lovingly made copies of his own. Uh, when she, when his wife asked where the originals were, he claimed that they were stolen, framing his butler, whom he kills and takes his clothes for some fucking reason. Yes. The butler's mustache then tells the story of the butler's family... Um, and specifically the son who deceives his blind mother into thinking that he is still alive by wearing that mustache yes. and playing a gramophone recording of him occasionally saying yes. The father is in fact not dead and returns home with some friends, one of whom is writing his memoirs about becoming obsessed with a two-faced statue, a uh, statue of the god Janus, which unfortunately brings out a terrifying alternate persona named Lug Lug that kills his fiance. Yes. Now that is some of what happens. Hello, I'm Marv. Today we're going to discuss baths. More specifically, how to take one. Here in America, we didn't bathe so much until recently. Saturday night bath used to be a ritual. Today it's more like every other day or even every day. How do I know this? (laughs) People have told me that's how... Quite a lot, really, I've left out there. It's a maddening nightmare of a film. (laughs) In terms of its plot, it's structured like a Matryoshka doll. It goes down through the levels once, and Mm -hmm. then comes back up again. It doesn't go too deep the first time. Then we go down a separate, different level of stories, and then come back up again. And then we go back down a third time. And I very distinctly yeah. remember the third, the first time coming up, like, oh, thank God, we're coming back up. There's yeah. the, um, there's the, the vampire banana story again. We're yeah. getting resolution here now. And then we go back down again. And it's like, oh, it's yes. like dips on a roller coaster. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. And it's one of the best films that I've ever seen, I think. But at the same time, <laughs> it was painful. Yes. And it was horrible. And a very hard watch. I felt sick. Um, <laughs> yeah, part of why you may have felt sick is that the style, the mm. style is to make the movie look like uh, lost films from the 1920s, yes. from the silent and pre-sound era. There's a distinction between silent and pre-sound, <laughs> which I'm not going to tell you about. Go look it up. <laughs> um, early sound. It has sound, 
but it also has hilarious uh, title cards that read things like um, A Morning of Darkest Bird Chirped Regret. Yes. Or His Mind is Filled with Cave Fate. <laughs> and it's... Like if 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 not for this structureless structure, yeah, it, it's full of flourishes which you would think, oh, just somebody trying to be quirky, yeah. But it's but it's it's so everything is so precise about it, yes, that it, c- it can't be anything other than just absolute fucking mastery of of the craft, yeah. The the the, the people stuck on the the submarine are, are, are chewing flapjacks because the the bubbles, that's right, the oxygen bubbles in them help with um. The bends, the bends. Yeah. Um, is it like there's like an espionage esque yeah. one with the woman in the club, um, which yes. is where we um, we um, see uh, the band Sparks. Yes, one of the highlights of the films is that eighties band or seventies mm. band um, Sparks. Yeah, performs a song called the uh, the final derriere. Was it the yeah the final derriere, um, which is about Udo Kier, <laughs> <laughs> um, who is obsessed with butts. Yes. And so he keeps going back to a surgeon to have brain surgery to have bits of his um, brain removed until his brain is as smooth as a baby's bottom. Yes. Um, but he is unable to rid himself of this desire. Sire. Yes. A little more off the top. It's the fucking catchiest song. Yeah, I mean, I had that on re- repeat, I think, walking around <laughs> London for a good couple of months. It was um, probably the wrongest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and it's not just weird, you know, it's funny. It's genuinely yeah, funny. It really is. <laughs> It's 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 very clever, and I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever. See, I've never seen a film like it. No, it, it's unique. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very unique, and it's rare that a film can be truly unique. But I I don't think anything like the Forbidden Room has ever been made or will ever be made again. No, and to ape that, I think would yeah be a waste of everyone's time. Why would you you, you don't try and replicate something like that? Yeah, you know. Yeah, it, it's mesmerizing. I can't recommend it enough. Mm. Um, give it a go. <laughs> I did recommend that to somebody once and I sat down and watched it with them and um to this day I don't know if they like me <laughs> anymore. Um something to do with the way it's filmed and the way scenes sort of morph into each other and everything's kind of scratchy and Yeah, they glooping like it's burnt oh, giving the impression of the um celluloid melting. Yes, together. I mean it's wonderful if as a cine if you're if you count yourself as a film fan, a cineast. A cineast just subject yourself to it, really. Please. It's the most blissful. It's like a bad trip. Yeah. You'll you'll be a, a different person for having seen it. Yeah. And you've already watched Lynch, so fucking come on. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um now we're going to chat about a couple of directors that we really like and we feel maybe aren't getting their dues at the moment. So mm. What have you okay. got for us, Monsieur Goodman? Two people, technically. Ah, yes. Um, ben Wheatley and Amy Jump. Mm. Ben Wheatley uh, obviously gets a lot of the credit for it. Amy Jump is a bit of a um, hidden figure. Intentionally so. She doesn't yes. do like press interviews no. and put herself out there. She yeah, by something. choice. Yeah. Ben, ben, ben Wheatley is not uh, big-eyesing her. <laughs> they, they they sort of fill different, very different roles. Absolutely. Um, but both are integral to these, oh, these films. Now, the first I'd heard of Ben Wheatley... Um, and Amy Jump was Kill List. Yes. Which is 2011. Mm-hmm. Neil Maskell and Michael Smiley are hitmen that oh, start an easy job only to be pulled right into the soul of evil, yeah. which, uh, you can find by passing up through the anus of moping. <laughs> and was, and I was just blown away by how funny it was in spite of how dark, 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 dark it got. So dark. Very so upsetting. dark. <laughs> um, very, very upsetting. Yeah. But fucking funny. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's almost, 
for a good 45 minutes it's almost a buddy movie yeah it's it a really dark is. buddy movie with neil, neil maskell um and michael smiley going around just just chatting away yeah chatting and killing yeah chatting and <laughs> killing um they're going to explore this sort of dark labyrinth of human filth together yeah yeah like just like chris rock and jackie chan <laughs> just like ours with this podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> after that you know we've um the next year um sightseers came out yep and you know knowing about ben ben wheatley it was um, unfortunately just ben wheatley at this time i wasn't aware of amy jump right. back in 2012 yeah um sightseers came out the following year and you know we went to see that too sort of expecting another kill list but coming across a dark 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 <laughs> comedy yeah. about a couple going on a caravanning holiday that quickly devolves into a killing spree yes it's mixing the glamour and polish of natural born killers with the last of the summer wine never thought about murdering innocent people like that before no, he's not a person Tina he's a daily mail reader <laughs> it's just brilliant again and this time around it was produced by Edgar Wright and Naira Park among yep. others um, starring Steve Oram and Alice Lowe who also wrote right Yes. Just a quick sidebar on Alice Lowe. She is fucking amazing. Yes. Um, if any of you haven't seen Prevenge or mm. is it Black Mountain Poets? She's amazing. Um, yeah. Something to, someone to look out for. Yeah. Um, also very, very good in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place if you haven't seen that. <laughs> yep. Um, I think Prevenge is the one good thing I might have missed. So I need to, I really need to get on that. Um, Absolutely. I know it's, it's on, just out on DVD now, guys. Yeah. So they're building this quality team and, and then a field in England comes, comes out. Yeah. Now, Michael Smiley, Reese Shearsmith of League of Gentlemen fame, not extraordinary. Yeah. Just regular League of Gentlemen fame. Um Julian Barrett and um and a couple yes. of others deserters uh, of a civil war are captured by an alchemist played by Michael Smiley. Yeah. Um it's difficult to be pithy about what comes next, but basically he <laughs> enslaves them into helping him find a treasure he believes is buried nearby. Yeah. He- the f- yeah. He feeds them magic mushrooms. Yes. And then they all go into a field and freak out. That's basically what happens. Yes. Um, the film itself is not very yielding on the facts. No. Um, you nevertheless follow the trio through this brutal, twisted, psychedelic journey through <laughs> the, the magic with a K of the early modern period. And it's baffling, mm. intoxicating. I've ne- Again, I've never seen a film like it. No. Um, it's shot in black and white, which gives it a richness, like a real texture. Yeah, yeah. And it just makes this terrible psychological journey feel like one that I personally was trapped in. Yeah. And I wasn't going to be getting out. <laughs> so, I mean, it, since then, their their careers have been a bit more on radar, I think. Yeah. First releasing High Rise in 2015 and Free Fire the year, the year after. Yeah, High Rise is a sort of mind-bending sci-fi thriller. Yes. Yeah. And then Free Fire, which I don't know if anybody has seen, but it came out... Um, I mean, it was in cinemas early this year, wasn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. Um, but I mean, what I love about Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump is the same thing that I love about Denny Villeneuve. Mm. It's, it's the range yeah. of stuff they've made. Like, admittedly, a lot of them verge on that inescapable psychological horror yeah. kind of thing. And there are films like A Field in England and High Rise that give nothing away. Yeah. It's like Shane Carruth up in there. <laughs> you know, if you're not following A Field in England, well, then maybe you should have gone and done a BA in early modern history, shouldn't you, <laughs> you fucking clod? Um, and then there's Free Fire, which is yeah. so accessible, so fun. Yeah. You know, with such an amazing cast. Yeah. A, a, a tremendously, a tremendous cast go to a warehouse and shoot at each other. <laughs> That's really... For 90 minutes? For about 90 minutes. And it's compelling and funny and... Yeah. And it doesn't glorify violence. Nope. It doesn't patronise or pander to anyone. No. As if it's just the easiest fucking thing in the world to <laughs> toss off a masterpiece. Yeah. And and even now, they feel like a well-kept secret. Mm. They, 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 they still feel like, despite the fact that they're getting 
the the best actors of of this age in 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 their in their movies yeah. <laughs> um on you know um film fourth or national lottery yeah. style budgets yes um it's pretty outstanding that they haven't been you know thrust in front of a marvel film <laughs> or yeah, something yeah um which I, I, would, I mean i would love that yeah absolutely it would be fucking bizarre imagine yeah. doctor strange by ben if, wheatley oh god yeah it's great because amy jump her best quality is dialogue Mm. she's so good at dialogue and just making characters feel real i mean a field in england is her masterpiece i think because everybody speaks in a way that feels like early modern england yes um my favorite line is something like um i believe we shall suffer a better standard of suffering in this man's company yeah that's a great line it's yeah it's the i mean the detail in that film is Mm. is is really would make a phd sweat yeah i think i mean as a starting point um i would say either kill list or free fire yeah they're pretty they're pretty opposite but they're both very tight yeah films uh accessible in their own way kill list may stretch your um thresholds a little bit more in terms of violence uh a lot of things yeah uh conceptually maybe yeah but I mean, I mean, Kill List was the one that started it all for me, blew me away, and, and Free Fire is just fucking quality. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my director is Peter Greenaway, um, a director who had his heyday kind of a little earlier, um, really reaching his peaks in the sort of eighties and nineties. I discovered Greenaway when I was about fifteen, and I think I was looking for something as mysterious and elusive as David Lynch, mm. um, whose filmography I had exhausted at that age. Um, what I found was sublime. Mm. Greenaway is, first of all, incredibly funny. Whatever her other attributes, it is certain that Lisa Forlisette has not been able to teach her dogs to fly. The first dog Lisa took up in a plane was a spaniel named Hazy, after Frau Ines Esterhazy. But the first solo flight was reserved for a three-year-old boxer bitch called Louise. At Lisa's command, Louise jumped from an Olympus helicopter at 1,000 feet and landed on loose straw in a barley field outside Copenhagen. The second jump was from 2,000 feet, and was unsuccessful. The dog landed in a children's playing field. Lisa was threatened with prosecution, but the charge could not be made to stick. In the end, she was fined three cronen for exercising a dog in a public place without a lead. If that made you laugh, welcome to your new um, obsession. If it didn't, I'm sorry, I can't explain it to you. (laughs) I've never been able to explain Greenaway's humour. The shortest Greenaway gag I ever remember is... um, when discussing the death of uh, famous cricketers, Ollie Schreiker scored 58 runs with one eye closed before falling down the pavilion steps. <laughs> I can't explain why that's funny. Yeah, it's almost it's almost Woodhouseian. Yeah, it's just lovely and concise. And yeah. he'll 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 run whole films with this sort of humor in it. Um, he's also obsessed with Renaissance art, and consequently he favors long shots, which tend to be very symmetrical. Mm-hmm. He uses natural light for this awesome chiaroscuro um effect and he absolutely packs his frames with detail often food um there's a lot of similarities to wes anderson mm-hmm. but i just noticed my autocorrect has changed to west anderson which is pretty <laughs> fucking awesome huh? only where anderson is interested in like sentimentality uh sentimentality and nostalgia mm. greenaway is interested in the morbid the perverse and the quaint which is basically the difference between the british and american psyches <laughs> Um, yes. I think the best place to start with Greenaway is his two greatest works. Um, The Draftman's Contract is about um, an artist named Mr. Neville, who is commissioned by the wife of an aristocrat to produce a number of drawings of his estate, uh, which he does in return for sexual favours with the wife and eventually the daughter. 
Once the aristocrat turns up dead, it seems that there have been clues hidden in Mr. Neville's work, unbeknownst to him, uh, possibly implicating a conspiracy and maybe even implicating him. Hmm. Um, it's the mystery that draws you in. It's got this wonderful density to it, but what makes you stay is, um, the wit. It's, his dialogue is so good. Um, his character's also sharp. If the Garden of Eden was planned for England, God would have seen to it. The Garden of Eden, Mr. Talman, was originally intended for Ireland. For it was there, after all, that St. Patrick eradicated the snake. The only useful eradication that ever happened in Ireland, Mr. Neville, was performed by William of Orange four years ago on my birthday. And a happy birthday to you, Mr. Talman. And if you are not too old to receive presents, perhaps the gardener and I can find a snake for your orangery. What? Um, and it has another trademark of his, which is incredibly intelligent women manipulating foolish men. <laughs> Uh, usually using sex. Um, the other film is Drowning by Numbers, um, which is about three generations of women, each named Sissy Colpitts, and each one successfully, successively, and successfully drowning their husbands. Huh. Uh, they are assisted in their homicide by an eccentric mortician played by Bernard Hill, you may know from, uh, Lord of the Rings playing King Theoden. He agrees to help them in exchange for sexual favours. There is a theme here. Um, however, they each manipulating hi- manipulate him by promising that the next younger woman will oblige him instead. Kind of like a perverted Billy Goat's gruff. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's just, there's so much eccentric- um, eccentricity to it. Um, the movie features the numbers one for a hundred hidden in the frame. Sometimes written on walls or objects, sometimes spoken aloud as cricket scores or house numbers. Um, the significance of it is kind of about the characters trying to make sense of their completely senseless lives by imposing rules or measurements. Mm. Game playing is a big part of the, um, of the move, of the movie. The idea that all the characters are trying to play games, but ultimately life, death, sex, it's not a game. Um, unless you're Paul Salt. Unless you're Paul Salt, in which case it it's is a harrowing scrape for survival. <laughs> um, it would all be just a quirky, sort of grim fairy tale if it weren't for Greenaway's tremendous capacity for compassion and his brilliant ability to draw out the incredible performances of his actors. Um, in the same way you mentioned Ben Wheatley being a sort of co-production with um, Amy Jump, hmm. really you can only talk about Greenaway um, in relation to his collaboration with Michael Nyman, who scored all of his work, um, even his early short films in the 80s, which are sublime. Michael Nyman's work transcends great movie music. He is one of the greatest composers of the last century. Uh, His music is typically stately. Often moving. Sometimes very weird. Um, and he did all of his best work for Greenaway. Um, yeah, just I think he's seen as a little quirky and maybe a little too obtuse to get into. But every Greenaway film has murder, sex, mm. humor, intelligence, and wit. And I don't feel like enough people are talking about him. There's very few sort of analytical essays and, and videos about him out there. Mm. Um, and I hope that you, listener, are going to feel inspired to go check him out. Because I don't think Peter Greenway is getting his due. And his due is that he is one of the greatest directors our country ever produced. I've got to say, the um, you showed me about 10 minutes of Drowning by Numbers yeah. uh, just before we sat down to record. Um, I was 
instantly in love. I now want to make a point of watching all of these movies. I, yeah. I suggest a Peter Greenaway season in yes. uh, Casadel Pools. <laughs> to follow up our Bruce Lee one that we just finished. Yes. <laughs> the Bruce Lee Ip Man uh, extravaganza. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sold. Yeah. Are you? <laughs> Are you a listener? Are you David Roberts? <gasps> yes. We know you're listening. <laughs> there we go. That's Peter Greenaway. Cool. Okay, now shall we quickfire? Yeah. Cool. Um, I'll start. Okay. Uh, Locke. Ooh. Now, Locke is a movie uh, starring Tom Hardy as Locke. Ah! Um, as he begins the film climbing into a car, beginning a journey from, I believe it's... Oh, shit. It's Manchester and London. I can't remember which way he's going. Doesn't matter. Same place. <laughs> Same place. He's driving from one of those to other. Um, and... We don't know why. Um, mm. it, the whole film is set in the car with Mr. Hardy, uh, Mr. Locke, as he conducts a series of phone calls with various people, and it transpires that he is undertaking a very grim pilgrimage for reasons that become clear as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real sort of family drama. It's a, a tremendous sort of slice of humanity, um, completely carried by Tom Hardy's performance yeah. um, as Locke, the, the, as he, um, for some reason that we come to understand, drives away from everything he's ever wanted um, towards a city that he would, where he would rather, he would literally rather be anywhere else. He'd rather have syphilis. He'd rather have syphilis than be going where he's going. Yeah. But as we understand, Mr. Locke, uh, he, he does have to go there. He's locked in. He's locked in. Mm. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, enter the void. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wanted to talk about Gaspar Noe. Um, Irreversibler is the one that I, I show to all my uh, show to all my friends as soon as I get yeah. to know them. Um, and Enter the Void is um, his follow up yeah. to that. Um, this this guy dies in a in a drugs bust in Tokyo, yep. and um, in line with the beliefs of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, um, <laughs> that's a great sentence. Yeah, <laughs> practicing that all week. <laughs> he um, his soul literally drifts above yeah the, the the world as the tibetans believe yeah um and he's just going around his um his friends his sister getting flashbacks of his parents deaths yeah. and i mean that's it yeah that is it for three hours yeah but i was gonna say like all gaspar no movies but like the good gaspar no yeah. movies it is an experience yeah. movie. It's it's one that you should see in the cinema if you get get the experience. Um, because I mean, v- visually it's un- unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a real touching and difficult story to watch. Yeah, sure. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're watching a man coming to terms with his own death. Yeah, the ripples um, of his life. Yeah, God. I mean, yeah. If you, I I would say if you were to watch one Gaspar Noé film, watch. Enter the Void. I think if you wa- if you really watch Enter the Void, you will be moved to wonder about what else he has done, and then yeah. you'll unfortunately end up at loving. Yeah, uh, love, uh, love, love. Sorry, yes. Lo- lo- yeah, loving's another thing. Loving's another film which love um, actually. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, my next film is Steve Jobs. Mm. Now you may have like vaguely been aware of this film last year. Michael Fassbender plays Steve Jobs. The film shows his life from the perspective of the warm up to three Apple press conferences. The film is written by. Aaron Sorkin, and directed by um, Danny Boyle. And it is just everything you would expect from the melding of those three people. <laughs> of um, mm. Fassbender's incredible performances as Jobs, where he just, you forget it's him. He, he he blends into this role so well and adopts this brilliant persona. 
Um, it has Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, the snappiness, the, um, the sort of walk and talk mm. nature, but also just having characters' lives unfurl in these sort of tight spaces. Um, whilst also sort of showing how technology evolved over that time and showing the merits and faults in Jobs' vision, bolstered by incredible supporting performances from Kate Winslet, Seth Rogen, Jeff Daniels, Catherine Waterston, and Matthew Stuhlberg. And Danny Boyle does the thing that Danny Boyle does. He creates an incredibly visually striking, arresting film. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, the film did badly. Uh, mangled release, poor marketing, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of Steve Jobs fatigue um, so soon after the Ashton Kutcher film, which was yeah. terrible. Um, if you missed this for any reason, please check it out. It's, compuls- it's compellingly watchable. It's really funny. Yeah. Extraordinarily well handled. There were moments of real tension mm-hmm. uh, orchestrated by Mr. Boyle and the, the way only he can do. Um, yeah, it's just a really f- enjoyable film. Great. Frank, um, directed by um, Lenny Abrahamson, who mm. did uh, Room. Yep. Uh, not The Room. Nope. But Room. Room. Starring uh, Dom Hall Gleason and Michael Fassbender. Uh, oh. Dom Hall Gleason is an aspiring musician um, who, not a very successful one or talented. Nope. Um, there's a chance to play in the band when um, one, of the char- one of the other members goes insane. Yeah. He meets Frank, who is mm. played by Michael Fassbender with a big paper mache head. Yes. Michael Fassbender in this film gives more of a performance mm. than 99% of any other actor <laughs> in the history of the world yeah. cinema. And he's got a big paper mache head on him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's really, it's a really, really, really funny film. Yeah. The, 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 the acting is amazing. Yeah. Um, the performances sorry, are amazing from everybody. Mm. The movie is so full mm. of the most inventive music yeah you know and it has um common feature in in paul goodman's um movie loves is films about making art and the creative process in this film is 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 just so fucking inspiring yeah um i mean it's worth it's worth it for that alone it could just be an excellent biopic about a, a captain beefheart type genius yeah um but there's yeah there's there's so much more to it and watch it great film just watch it really cool yeah okay my next film is called in pursuit of silence it's a documentary uh unique to this um thing mm-hmm. um and it's a documentary about how important silence is now when we say silence we don't mean the absence of all noise we mm. mean quiet we mean the lack of sort of the noise that we all have become accustomed to in modern life, mm. the noise of the tube, the noise of traffic, the noise of phones, and just the, the noise that we surround ourselves in. And it's a film about how important quietness and silence is to your mental health, mm. um, the restorative effects that it can have, um, and about the damage that the excessive noise is actually doing to us, about how it, it stresses you out, it makes you more tense, you know, it... Yeah, it, it increases the chance of heart problems and just mm. general other issues. It's an incredible film because it captures what is really, truly beautiful about quiet. It opens with a great montage of silent scenes, like mm. a field or my favorite one is a gas station in the middle of nowhere. And you can just hear the, the hum of the neon sign and the crickets. Yeah. But that's it. And it's wonderfully evocative in that way. And, he just talks to some really knowledgeable people about mm. issues pertaining to silence. Yeah, mm. loved, I loved it a lot. A lot, of, a lot about being mindful, about being present, and yeah. um, it's a pretty, pretty uh, urgent panacea 
to to modern modern living i think absolutely just find time for yourself to yeah. just be quietly <laughs> yeah be quietly be quiet go on my next film is king boxer oh fuck yeah yes <laughs> A uh, promising young martial arts student named Chu Hao has spent most of his life studying under a master and has fallen in love with the master's daughter, Yin Yin. Mm. After the master fails to properly fight off a group of thugs, he sends Chu Hao to study under a superior master, Shun Chin Pei. <laughs> and... <sighs> it's so much fun. It is. I mean, this 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 film was uh, 1972. Mm. Um, comes out of the Shaw, Shaw Brothers studio. Yeah. It's right there in that sort of golden age. Yeah. Um... This is just lightning fast all the way through. Yeah. It feels way ahead of its time. It's funny. And the, 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 the actual martial arts on display yeah. is, 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 is wonderful to watch. It's really yeah. well realized, well choreographed. Mm. It's one of the, the front runners of that era, I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, whilst we're talking about great martial arts movies, I have one from a little earlier, 1967. Um, Dragon Inn, also known as Dragon Gate Inn. Um, directed by King Hu. The movie is set in an outpost in the middle of the sort of Chinese mountains, uh, mm. an inn, um, where they are expecting, it's a little bit of a tricky political plot, but basically they are expecting, um, a important figure to pass through this inn, and so an enemy army have come and cleared out the staff and have imposed themselves, uh, mm. in disguise as the sort of, um, yes. staff here in this inn. The next, oh, 60% of the film? is set in this inn as the sort of martial artists kind of size each other up and try and figure out who's on what side. Um, and there's a couple of sort of uh, flurries of martial arts activity, but it's mainly a sort of really tense kind of drama set yeah. in this inn. And then the ending is just all out action. And it's amazing. It's just, yeah. and there's this awesome female martial artist in there who's as good as any of the men. And she's yes. just fantastic taking on armies of men, <laughs> just throwing them about the place. It's, yeah really great i mean for 1967 it's yeah remarkable and the martial arts is brilliant you can see the sort of influence on things like the hateful eight yes um tarantino loves these movies it's a really great watch yeah yeah definitely um so i have one more okay great um fourth one uh cell 211 oh, yes. which is a spanish film mm. um juan oliver wants to <laughs> sounds so shit in an english accent <laughs> juan oliver john oliver yeah oh my god juan uh... <laughs> oh shit that John Oliver of uh, the Daily Show fame I'm sorry can I just please be let out of this Spanish prison please <laughs> I'm sick of it and I hate the Basques he wants to make a good impression at his new job as a prison officer and reports to work a day early leaving his pregnant wife Elena at home convicts break free and hijack control of the penitentiary and yes. aware of the violence that is to come in order to survive he must pretend to be a prisoner right now I- Im- imagine how that would be if uh, if Holly would did that yes and then forget all of that immediately <laughs> um it is it, no hollywood it's it, it's 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 pretty gritty yeah it, and at some at sometimes the tension even gives way to the just the pure like the the displeasure yeah. of, of, of 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 watching of, of of watching this unfold yeah it's it's a it's a nasty place and it's a it's a film that for the most part is all is about prisoners conditions yeah um, absolutely but the main um the, the the prisoner who takes charge malamadre yeah um he's is amazing. i mean he 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 is amazing he is like a like a quiet lunatic yeah until he until he's not you know absolutely who we befriend as a yeah. cinema and as the main character become sympathetic yeah it's extraordinary it's very very good um yeah. so there, there you go 
my last one I'll very talk, briefly talk about is Mad Max Fury Road. You probably haven't heard of it. Um, yeah. No, of course you fucking have. It's one of the best action movies of the last decade. Yeah. But have you seen it in black and chrome? Uh, yes. Oh. Me and Goodman went and saw the black and chrome edition of um, Mad Max um, Fury Road, and it's brilliant. It yeah. really adds something to the film to have it in that sort of monochrome um it, the textures become important the um that the movement density of the shot yeah. uh becomes really significant when a truck fl- uh, falls over and the fire comes bellowing out and the sand is thrown up mm. seeing it in just black and white it, you really get to see all the particles kind of moving about the yeah. place um lush textures lush textures if you love mad max fury road get the blu-ray it comes in a double pack now so sell your old one and get the Blu-ray of the double pack where it's in colour and black and chrome. Mm. And now um, sell everything else. Sell everything go else. Go on. And go live in a silent uh, Tibetan uh, monastery in the middle of the um, of the Chinese mountains. And set up your surround sound system. <laughs> and blast this film. Yeah. <laughs> across, <laughs> across, uh, across free China. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, I think that's it. Those are our recommendations. Yeah. Um, I hope uh, um, I hope some of you have taken them on board, <laughs> and not just uh, sat there going, "Hmm, sounds good." Because a, that's that's quite offensive, and b, you're the only person in the room. You fucking idiot! <laughs> no wonder you're not following our recommendations. We hate you, Paul. Goodbye. You know that families like to get together and listen to this, and I fucking hate them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So thank you for listening to one good thing. Thank you very much. Uh, as ever, we are on. Twitter and Facebook at OGT Pod. Uh, you can send us an email at OGTPod at gmail.com. Yep. If, uh, if you come away from this and decide to watch one of the films we recommended, this is the time to get in touch. Yeah, let us know. You, yeah, give us an email version of a pat on the back or a tweet equivalent of dog shit pushed through our letterbox. Because <laughs> we, we crave it. Yeah. We crave your punishment. No, no observation is, is too crap. Like if you just say, um, oh, I liked it. And yeah. you can't think of anything clever to say about it. That's fine. That's yeah. what we want to know. Or if you've seen any of the films that we've we've yeah, yeah. spoken about, it'd be great to hear from some of you. <laughs> um, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, that, that's it. Okay. Well, I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. And remember, the one good thing about taking recommendations from another person is that the worst case scenario, you'll waste a few hours of your life, which you would have spent on Twitter anyway. Twittering us. The best case scenario, you might find something really special. <laughs>